Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist for the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Thursday, February the 2nd, 2023. On today's podcast, we're going to preview the Kentucky-Florida basketball game. It's Saturday night, an 8.30 start at Rep Arena. And to be honest, if you looked at this game a couple of weeks ago, you think, okay, this is not your typical Kentucky-Florida game. Florida not quite as good as they've been in the past. But then Florida's kind of changed that around, especially with their win over Tennessee, number two ranked Tennessee in Gainesville on Wednesday night. The Gators are six and three in the SEC. Kentucky is also six and three in the SEC. The Cats are coming off their win over Ole Miss at Oxford on Tuesday night. To help preview the podcast, to help preview the game on Saturday, my guests on the podcast are Kevin Brockway of the Gainesville Sun, who covers Florida basketball, and Mark Story, my fellow columnist and colleague at the Herald Leader, who will talk about the Wildcats. Before we get to the interviews, though, first of all, I want to remind you, you can get a digital subscription or a print subscription to the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com by going to Kentucky.com, clicking on the subscription tab and checking out all the offers for subscriptions, both to Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader print edition. We really do appreciate everybody who supports our work at Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. I I really appreciate everybody who supports the podcast. You can Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. So let's get right to the interviews. First, you'll hear from Kevin Brockway of the Gainesville Sun, and then you'll hear from Mark Story of the Lexington Hero Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is an old friend, Kevin Brockway of the Gainesville Sun. Kevin, how's it going? It's going well. It's been, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a busy time since I've been back in July with uh, two first year coaches, first Billy Napier and now Todd Golden, who uh, picked up the biggest win, I guess, of his uh, tenure so far uh, with uh, the upset of number two Kentucky on uh, Wednesday night, sixty seven fifty four. A much needed win for the Gators, who are trying to uh, somehow sneak into the NCAA tournament. Right. Yeah. As Kevin mentioned, I've known Kevin for a long time. Kevin covered uh, Florida basketball for the Gainesville Sun for 15 years, then went up to Indiana, covered uh, Indiana for three years. Now he's back in Gainesville, uh, back with the Sun. Uh, Kevin, I know you're happy to be back uh, back in Florida, but did, did you enjoy your time in Indiana? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I mean, the basketball atmosphere, Assembly Hall, the whole, uh, you know, uh, you know, the basketball culture there. Going to some of the gyms within the state. I mean, you know, uh, oh, yeah. uh, they have they have some amazing high school gyms there that seat four, five thousand, eight thousand people. Um, it is really, uh, you know, very much like Kentucky in terms of, uh, you know, the passion and, and the love for basketball up there. And, uh, you know, uh, there were some lean years under Archie Miller, but, you know, the last year I covered the team with Mike Woodson, they, uh, they got in the NCAA tournament, uh, kind of snuck in, got to Dayton and they got to fly out to Portland. So that was interesting. And they look to be on the up and up, up there, uh, under Woodson, who I think, uh, you know, is continuing to do a really good job up there. So, uh, we'll see how, uh, We'll see how they go. We'll see if we can get if they can get that Indiana Kentucky series back. I guess they're they're going to do that in a few years, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I believe it when I see it. But like they talk like it's coming back. Uh, you mentioned you meant we we are recording this on Thursday morning. You meant you uh, mentioned last night big win for Florida beating number two Tennessee there in Gainesville. Uh, what about that game, Kevin? Were you surprised? Were you shocked? I mean, I watched the game. I was surprised. Were you surprised by Florida pulling off the win? 
Yeah, you know, and th- this is just, you know, it continues a really tough stretch because they really looked lifeless in that loss to Kansas State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Yeah, they lost 64 to 50 and they were they were down by 23. So you kind of thought, well, maybe this is the point in the season where it unravels. But a- as we all know, home court in college basketball can make a, a difference. It was a decent crowd. Florida got off to a really good start, 17 to 4, uh, then kind of held that lead in the halftime, but then, you know, fell behind in the second half. 44 to 38, but, but really won an amazing run late in that game. 13-0, they got the ball inside to Colin Castleton. They got out on the break and in transition and, um, you know, just played really good defense throughout the game. Um, it, it's kind of amazing because, you know, this Florida team is, is, you know, truth be told, not a very good rebounding team. Um, and, and they've completely sacrificed crashing the offensive boards to get back on defense. So Tennessee had 18 offensive rebounds in that game. They had 68 shot attempts. Wow. Um, but still only shot 29 or 27% from the floor. I, I don't ever recall in my years covering college basketball where a team had 68 shot attempts in a 40-minute game. Uh, but I would give Florida credit because their second-shot defense, their third-shot defense, they didn't get discouraged. They kept on defending hard for really long stretches. And, uh, you know, Colin Castleton, uh, you know, leading the SEC in block shots is really – a presence at the rim. I mean, he only blocked one, but he altered a bunch in that game. Rick Barnes made that comment following the game, and it really turned out to be a big difference. Yeah, the thing that impressed me about Florida was, like you mentioned, they got off to that great start, but then Tennessee came back there in the second half, took the lead, and I was thinking, okay, Tennessee's going to take over. You know, they're going to win this game. But no, Florida came back on them and really put them away. Uh, not only did they come back and take the lead, but they put them away after that. Uh, to me, that said a lot about the Florida team. Yeah, no question. And, you know, they got Tennessee in the bonus at the 10.09 mark, which I thought was big, and yeah. really made their free throws until the very end. Uh, but they had built up enough of a cushion. I think there were 15 of their first 16 from the foul line, which was really good. They ended up 75%, 18-24. But uh, at those times, you know, those one-on-ones, they were converting them. They weren't missing them. They were putting points on the board, and they really just uh, – you know how Tennessee kind of flustered. Listen, they might have caught Tennessee on a B minus C night. I mean, they didn't shoot the ball well. They were five or twenty-five from three. They did have some open looks. They didn't knock down. But I thought Florida also grinded a little bit. They kind of created some havoc. And you know, I think that's like the one kind of kryptonite for this uh, Tennessee team, as you know, because uh, you know Kentucky did beat them in Thompson Bowling. And sometimes they can get into scoring grats as well. And if for as good a defensive team as they are. Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, you mentioned first-year coach Todd Golden of Florida, a young guy. I think he's 37, is that right? And came from San Francisco. How's it been this year under a new coach in Todd Golden? Yeah, you know, Todd's a very likable guy. You know, he kind of, you know, he speaks straight. He's a very intelligent guy and, uh, you know, not afraid to tackle tough questions and doesn't get defensive about it. But uh, I think with, uh, you know, he opened practices early in the season, which is, uh, you know, something that I could never remember, you know, Mike White and Billy Donovan doing on a consistent basis. So um, he, he's had a little bit of an open-door policy. And, look, they've taken some lumps during the course of the season. You know, they weren't very good in non-conference um, but they've been pretty good in the SEC. I mean, if you look at their six and three in the SEC, right. and and their three losses have been by a combined eight points. So they've done really well in conference play. That's what's really saved them. Um, but they've made some adjustments. Like I said early in the season, they were struggling defensively with transition defense. So they made the decision 
not to crash the offensive boards as hard and bring everyone back. And since then, metrically, they've been one of the best defensive teams in the country. I think they're they're eighth in Ken Palm and adjusted defensive efficiency. They're they're really good on the they've been really good on the defensive end. I mean, offensively, they're limited in certain areas. Um, you know, they they're up and down with their their perimeter shooting. Um, when they get the ball inside to Castleton, uh, that seems to work, and he's a really good passer. Um, I mean, he's been obviously, you know, two-time SEC guy. He's he's their MVP, um, but it's just a matter of some of the other guys uh, developing around him. Will Richard, you know, the Belmont transfer is probably their best shooter, and and Riley Kugel has come on as kind of an athletic wing uh, as well. And, and Kyle Lofton has been up and down at the point guard, maybe not making the as much of an impact as advertised, but had a really good game last night uh, against Tennessee with fourteen and four assists. Yeah, what, what about Castleton? As you mentioned, you know, he, their top player came back for another year. Some people thought he would, would go on to the NBA, but decided to come back. But obviously, under a new coach, what kind of season has he had this year? Yeah, you know, he stayed healthy, which is important too, because you know he had the shoulder issue last year. Don't forget, I mean, he had you know surgery to repair a torn labrum and had to go through all the offseason rehab, and I I think that probably impacted part of his decision to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he he's a guy that's. Uh, you know, he's really done it all, you know, scoring, rebounding, assists. I mean, he's had some really incredible games in terms of, you know, multiple, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of, you know, doing a lot of different things on the stat sheet um, and, and rebounding as well. He's had some double-doubles. But I think, you know, what's interesting, you know, he's moving up the, uh, you know, uh, shot block record charts. I think he's he's one behind Joakim Noah for fourth place and uh, for fourth on, on the all-time list. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen an impact uh, impactful shot blocker in Florida since Noah. Really? Uh, what Castleton is doing right now in the paint. I mean, he's really blocking and altering shots, and he's really a defensive presence down there. What about, it seemed to me in watching the times that I've watched Florida play, Golden likes to play a lot of people. Uh, has that been kind of the his uh, mode of operation all season, or is it that developed as the year has gone on? Yeah, you know, he's shortened his rotation a little, I think, actually. You know, he, he started out 10 or 11. Now he's at an 8 or 9. Okay. But uh, the guys that, uh, you know, uh, I think that uh, it's interesting. He's, you know, he's had to shuffle some starting lineups. You know, he had Kowasi Reeves in the starting lineup early in the season. Uh, then Trey Bonham replaced Kowasi Reeves. And uh, then... Uh, you know, uh, I think he, you know, went to a little bit of a, a smaller lineup. Went to went to Myron Jones, mm-hmm. who although has not shot the ball great, you know, the transfer from Penn State, they had a lot of high hopes for him as a shooter. Uh, has been really good taking care of the ball and uh, getting assists. His assist to turnover ratio uh, has been really, really strong over these uh, SEC play, and it gives him a little calming influence and a second ball handler on the floor. Uh, to go with uh, Kyle Lofton. You know, they, they had some issues against Texas A&M and Missouri with turnovers, and they've been really uh, better in that area oh, and better with ball movement probably uh, over the last four or five games. Okay, Saturday night at Rupp Arena. It's an 8.30 tip. Uh, first of two games, Kentucky and Florida this year. Kentucky goes down to Gainesville on February the 22nd. But what about Saturday? Uh, Todd Golden's first trip into Rupp Arena. What does Florida have to uh, do to pull off a second straight upset? As you mentioned, this is, and they mentioned this on the broadcast last night, this is a key stretch of games for Florida as far as uh, trying to get in uh, uh, trying to get in the conversation for an NCAA tournament bid. Yeah, yeah, you know, they might need another statement win or two before the end of the season to do it. 
Um, yeah, based on the schedule strength. I mean, I, I think with Kentucky, right, it begins with Shibwe. You know, you gotta you gotta take care of him, and and that's gonna be a a tall order. You know, considering that uh, you know you don't have Colin Castleton inside. I think Alex Fudge is gonna have to step up and play a big role as well. Jason Chitobo off the bench is a bigger body uh, that's gonna have to provide some spells, and even if he fouls, I guess that could be. Uh, productive, uh, you know, depending on how Shibway is shooting at the free throw line. So, right. I, I think you got to you got to start with that, and and then you know uh, from there, just continue to go out on the perimeter, maintain your poise, um, because you you know what the atmosphere is like there, and uh, you hope you can knock down some shots. Uh, you know, they they haven't shot the ball very well on the road this year in particular, really? um, and and you know they haven't got off to good starts on the road. So I think you know twelve points at Texas A and M, sixteen points at Kansas State in the first half of game. So this is an offense that can, you know, especially on the road, they can kind of lose their, lose their poise a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, take quick, bad shots. So I think this, that's a situation where they're just going to have to, you know, maintain their poise, grind hard, defend, you know, account for Shibwe and then get out in the perimeter and guard. And if they can do that, I think they'll, uh, they'll have a shot at least to, um, you know, uh, be in it in the last five or 10 minutes. Well, it should be an interesting matchup, especially, uh, you know, Florida, as you mentioned, uh, they didn't play all that well in the non-conference schedule, but they've been very good in the SEC. As you mentioned, they're 6-3 and three with a big win over Tennessee on Wednesday night coming into the game on Saturday. Kevin, remind the listeners where they can find you uh, online and where they can check out your coverage, where they can find you on Twitter and where they can check out your coverage leading up to during and after the game on Saturday. Yeah, Gatorsports.com is the best place to find or Gainesville.com. And then uh, Twitter is uh, at Kevin Brockway G1. Kevin does a great job, uh, especially covering basketball. He's the go-to guy to talk to about Florida basketball, the history of Florida basketball in this season. I'm glad he's back in Gainesville. I'm glad he's on the podcast. Kevin, thanks a lot. It's good to be back. Thank you. Uh, thank you, John. Okay, I want to welcome now to the podcast my friend and colleague and fellow Air Leader Sports columnist Mark Story. How's it going, Mark? Good, John. Uh, Kentucky and Florida on Saturday night uh, at Rupp Arena, eight thirty ESPN. Mark, what's your? Uh, we haven't really talked to you during the basketball season. What uh, What's your evaluation of Kentucky right now? Just sitting fifteen and seven, six and three in the SEC. What's your overall uh, analysis of this team? Well, I'm surprised. I thought this team would be better than it has so far been. I entered the season thinking Kentucky was going to be really good. I, the, the phrase I kept using was, I think this team will have a lot of answers. And that uh, they obviously haven't been at that level. Now, part of me, you know, I keep, every time I do a prediction, I keep picking them. And, you know, I picked them to beat Kansas, and I picked them to beat Michigan State, and I picked them to beat Gonzaga, and I picked them to beat UCLA. And you might notice that they haven't won any of those games. <laughs> I hope you're not a gambling man. <laughs> well, I'm not. Good. And, and if anybody is is gambling based on my picks, they're messing up badly. <laughs> but part of me still thinks they're going to figure it out. But obviously, the clock's ticking. So, what what's been your biggest? You say you're disappointed or surprised. What's been the biggest surprise on a negative end for you? What what part of the game, or where did they have they not met your expectations? Well, a couple areas, but I thought the biggest improvement from last year to this year was going to be defensively. Specifically, I thought what hurt them last year was they didn't have the traditional Calipari-era 
you know, defensive length and quickness on the wings. And I thought they did have that this year, and that would make a big difference. But I, and while I thought they struggled a little bit last year with high pick and roll, I never would have dreamed it would be such an issue as it has been this year. And, and it's been a pretty consistently an issue. I mean, right. UCLA hurt them, and then Alabama just abused them. And I think that Alabama tape is the one that everybody went to school on. I believe it was the South Carolina coach, Lamont Paris, who said after that game that you know they don't even run high pick and roll, but when they saw how effective it was, they put it in. Right. And I mean that they just can't seem to get that fixed. And I know you know they claimed it was better at Ole Miss, but you know Ole Miss was playing without their two main guards and is a bad team anyway so you know we'll see you know how that goes moving forward and then i just thought they would be more consistent the guard play would be more consistent you've got veteran guards and guards that are proven at power five schools and i just thought it would be more consistent than it's been yeah uh you know, injuries have played a role. Obviously, I don't think. I mean, C.J. Frederick has obviously struggled. and struggled with his shot. You have to wonder how much that finger has bothered is bothering him. Then, uh, Severe Wheeler, as we all know, hurt his shoulder, missed the Tennessee game. They win the Tennessee game, so Cal sticks with Casey Wallace at uh, point guard, or at least starting. And then Wallace. Missed the other night against Ole Miss, uh, apparently a knee bruise in practice. They, this precautionary measure, decided to hold him out. What do you think is the answer there? I mean, uh, obviously, if they get healthy, it would help. But do you keep going forward with Kaysen? Do you go back to Severe and try to incorporate and just try to get him to play a little bit better? Uh, what do you do there if you're John Calipari? I probably stay with Kaysen at the point and stick with CJ and Reeves on the wings and just hope that CJ, you know, he was what a career 47% three point shooter in two years at Iowa playing in the big 10, you know, at some point I keep thinking, you know, he reverts to, you know, his statistical history and that the shooting percentage rises. Now I can't help but think at this point it's become kind of, he's pressing, it's become a little bit mental. I also worry, wonder a little bit about you know his history of leg injuries. If maybe he doesn't have quite the the lift he had before, just that maybe that impacts his shot in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, with severe, I try to get him as the sixth man, the guy you throw in there for energy to you know you play six minutes or eight minutes, and then he you put him in there to push tempo and really you know harass the other point guard. Uh, in the backcourt, you know, I think Severe is a good player, and I think he can be a very good player, but I think he needs an open court and to really push, and it doesn't seem like that's the best way for the way he thinks, or Calipari thinks this team needs to play. So I think I would probably stay with the um, what, what the fans have taken to call him the Benny lineup. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what about Oscar, Oscar Sheboy, reigning National Player of the Year, swept all the Player of the Year awards. Uh, we'll talk about Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year here in a few minutes, but uh, uh, he's still putting up double-doubles. Uh, to me, except for just a few games, he doesn't look like the same Oscar from last year, but maybe that's because we all got used to Oscar with his double-doubles and the way he plays offensively, you know, kind of, uh, you know, they I don't know, not uh, I'm not sure what the right word. I, we're all used to it, so it's not a surprise now where it was kind of a surprise last year. What's your judgment of Oscar's overall play? I, well, he obviously is a big part of the, the 
struggles in defending the pick and roll. He just can't seem to get out of no man's land. He always seems to be caught in between the driver and the guy rolling for rolling to the basket for the lob. Right. Um, you know, I don't know that it's solely his fault, but he seems to play a, he seems to be kind of a constant in that struggle. You know, I have not thought all year he has quite as much lift as he had last year. You know, obviously there was a knee procedure before the year that you know, set him out for missed a lot of the preseason. And also, you know, last year to me, he rebounded. He went for everything. He rebounded out of area, you know, just was just, you know, kind of an, an unrestrained rebounding force. And I don't feel like he has quite the same vigor in going after the ball. As you point out, his numbers are still good. I mean, to some extent, I almost think we take for granted, you know, how rare it is what he does in terms of all these double-doubles and and just, you know, kind of the statistical performance he produces. But, you know, maybe it is just, you know, it's not new what he does. Maybe that is the – but it just doesn't seem to me like there's quite the same, I don't know, sparkle there that there was last year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, you mentioned a little earlier Antonio Reeves. To me, he's been a definite plus, especially here late the way he's, uh, you know, he's been such a consistent scorer at 27 the other night. Uh, been in double figures for, I think, like seven or eight straight games. I'd have to look it up here. Let's see, three, four, five, six. Yeah, eight straight games. What's your, what's your, uh, how you feel about the way he's been playing? Well, he, um, I think he's averaging about 17 points or over 17 points for that, that eight game stretch. And I think the thing that's really helped him is he's gone more, you know, he's not just a standstill three point shooter, which seemed like what he was kind of trying to be early in the year. You know, he's putting it on the, the floor. You know, I go back to the, the, um, Texas A&M game, you know, he scored two huge baskets in the last two minutes, just, you know, putting it, bouncing it and driving it toward the goal and, and hitting runners. And I think, you know, the fact that he's you know shown that has made him a lot harder to play. And, you know, he, uh, his stock is way up. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, we both kind of written about this subject. I think you wrote about it a little more extensively than I have. But okay, like Kentucky is sitting here at fifteen and seven, as we said, they're six and three in the SEC. Uh, they are well. I had it here a minute ago in the net rankings. They've been in the thirties. Uh, they're th- they're thirty five. They okay. actually dropped two spots last night. Okay, <laughs> and then uh, Ken Palm, they're right about the same. I think right there in the thirties. What about this? I think Lenardi has them in his last. Uh, Projections he had him as playing in a first four game in Dayton uh, for as a number eleven seed. Uh, I think right now you'd have to say Kentucky is on the bubble. What, what, what? How worried should we be about this team not making the tournament? Well, I think it's a concern. And let me just say, having covered the first four several times, the University of Dayton Arena is a gym. Oh yeah. So that would be a cool place for people to see a game. Although I don't know that the Big Blue Nation would be real exhilarated by seeing the Cats in the first four. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think you know I, I I still think they'll make it, but they've certainly got work to do. I mean, we're still sitting here with basically one quad one win. Correct. And you know it, we're we're in February now. Now the good thing is what nine games left and Auburn has moved back up to number thirty. So that's now a quad one opportunity. Right. You know, Arkansas is hanging it in the 
top 30. So that would be two quad one opportunities. So they've got a lot of chances left. Florida on the road is a quad one opportunity. Mississippi State on the road is a quad one opportunity. Obviously, Tennessee at home is a quad one opportunity. So they can still build a pretty good resume, but you know they're they're out of they're they're out of uh, leeway. It's time it's time to do it. Right, right. Uh, you mentioned Florida. Florida, you know, uh, I think before uh, the before last night, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. You might look as okay, Kentucky, Florida, kind of a whole home game. Florida not as strong as they've been in the past, but they upset Tennessee last night. Beat them pretty good, sixty-seven fifty-four. Uh, Tennessee, the number two team in the country. Florida is now six and three in the league, the same record as Kentucky. I think they are two and seven in quad one games. What about how do you see this game on Saturday? Well, they Florida they moved way up in the net. They're up to forty one. And while I believe the NCAA selection committee when they say they you know they don't pick at large teams based you know they're not evaluating conference teams picking you know. Kentucky and Florida are just in a larger pool. Nevertheless, I think this is now kind of a big sort of bubble kind of game that, you know, you you need to take care of business on your home court against another team that's sort of in the same spot you are. And, you know, Florida has not struggled offensively. They've not shot it well, but they've been really good defensively. And and Tom Leach on his, uh, on the Leach report this morning made a good point. If you, put stock in the adjusted defensive efficiency uh, metric on Ken Palm. Kentucky's getting ready to play the best defense in the country, Tennessee, the 8th, Florida, the 10th, Mississippi State, the 12th, Arkansas, and the 21st, Auburn. So uh, they're, they're about to run into some really good defensive teams, so it's going to be a, a pretty good test for the Kentucky offense. Yeah, as you mentioned, Florida's number 8 in Ken Palm and adjusted uh, defensive efficiency. When, I, when we talked to Kevin Brockway uh, on the first part of this podcast, Kevin said that you know they have been up and down offensively, but they've been pretty solid defensively all year, and they were very solid against Tennessee. Tennessee, I think, shot like 29%. To me, Tennessee in the game last night looked a lot like they did against Kentucky. Uh, they, For whatever reason, Tennessee just seems to hit these stretches where they just can't score. Their defense is really good, but they can be a little spotty uh, on offense. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't think you can trust Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. Just figure they're going to hit a game where they just stop scoring because they, they just seem prone to that. And it seems like the last few tournaments, probably with the exception of Virginia, although Virginia was a better offensive team that year than they had been before, you got to be able to score in the NCAA tournament. I think everybody in the NCAA tournament, for the most part, plays pretty good defense or they wouldn't have gotten there, but you got to be able to score. I mean, if you look at last year, North Carolina, the way they made their tournament run because they hit shots and were able to score. Uh, so let's loop back with on that point real briefly about Kentucky. Let's say, can Kentucky score enough? Are they good enough? I, I know, as you've written, their problems have been defense, mainly on the defensive end, but are they consistent enough on the offensive end? Yeah, I think that's a legitimate question. And for, you know, I do think that the biggest slippage for Kentucky in recent years compared to the kind of the, the heyday of the Calipari era has been defensively. But that said, I think the broader point you make is true. You know, I think it's the ability to score and to score in different ways and from different spots on the floor that a lot of times separates the teams that do well in the NCAA tournament. You know, I think Kentucky, you know, I think with Wallace at the point, you know, he can score. Obviously Reeves is, is hot. You know, Oscar can score if they can, you know, space the floor. I think they really, you know, I think it would really 
benefit Kentucky if C.J. Frederick could get going a little bit. Because if you can shoot from that opposite wing, it becomes much harder to, to sag off onto, onto Oscar. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, like I said, I keep thinking he will revert to kind of his career numbers. You know, we're pretty deep in the season waiting for that to happen, but part of me still thinks it will eventually happen. Yeah, yeah. You, you would th- yeah, you'd think uh, that most players, anyway, eventually uh, revert to their numbers of what they've done in the past, but we'll see. You mentioned Oscar, uh, the Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year, which Mark is responsible for. He does a great work with that, getting uh, collecting all the bios, getting it all the ballots out, collecting the ballots and the votes. Uh, that was announced earlier this week. Just talk a little bit about that. Not only the winner, who we all know, but uh, any surprises to you of, uh, in this year's voting? Well, there were three, I guess, sort of historical um, um, standards reached or, or kind of new things that happened in this year's vote. For the first time in the 42-year history of the award, there were three active UK athletes, meaning from the year in which the voting occurred last year, who finished in the you know, one, two, three. Oscar Shibway won. Abby Steiner, the UK track and field star, was second. And Ryan Howard, the UK women's basketball star, was third. It's kind of hard to believe, but that there had never been a one, two, three UK athlete sweep in this voting before. The second thing that was interesting, there were not one but two horses in the top ten. The unbeaten flight line, the Breeders' Cup champion from here at Keeneland, uh, finished fifth. And then Rich Strike, the uh, long-shot Kentucky Derby winner, finished tenth. And they both had multiple first-place votes. And there had never been more than one horse in the top ten. The other thing that was interesting was that even with Oscar winning, there were actually more first-place votes cast for women sports figures than men really? uh, 70 for women 65 for men and eight for horses really? and um, <laughs> that was the that's breakdown, the breakdown huh? <laughs> and while i haven't looked this up i'm going to surmise that's probably the first time that there have ever been more first place votes cast for women wow. than men in the history of this award well uh i will reveal that i voted for abby steiner First, uh, I just I just thought she had the. I know Oscar swept all the awards. I guess I was probably thinking of the year as a whole, and more just the basketball season. I just thought what Abby Steiner did, especially from University of Kentucky, just the outstanding year that she had. But I wasn't surprised at all that Oscar won. Uh, were you surprised, or did you think Oscar? Were you thought Oscar was pretty much a shoe in to win it? I thought he was definitely the favorite, just statewide magnitude of the program. You know, I too voted Abby number one, and I actually voted Ryan Howard number two. Did you? And my my rationale, I felt like Abby sort of matched Oscar. You know, she won the Bowerman, which is the right. kind of the Heisman Trophy of track and field, but she also you know won the U.S. National Championship in the two hundred meters and won gold medals as part of relay teams for the U.S. and the World you know Championships. And then you know there was also kind of an academic. Um, she was the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year in both indoor and outdoor women's track. And I just thought she sort of covered Oscar's achievements, but also 
sort of trumped them. And in Ryan's case, she wasn't the national player of the year, but she was a first team AP All American for the third straight year. And there's only been nine people in the history of women's college basketball do that. And then, you know, she did lead her team to a big team success, winning the SEC tournament championship, something the men's basketball team failed to achieve. And then she went on and was the number one pick in the WNBA draft and was the WNBA rookie of the year. So I felt like based on her overall body of work, she was a little ahead of Oscar too. But, you know, I thought any of the top three would have been worthy winners. So, yeah, yeah, no, no, I thought, yeah, especially with Oscar and Abby Steiner, I thought it would come down, down to those two uh, in this year's voting. Uh, Mark, talk a little bit about it. You wrote for uh, uh, Friday's paper. It's online now on Kentucky.com. You kind of looked at this year and who might be a favorite or who might some of the uh, athletes to watch for next year's award might be. Yeah, I think there's a chance it's going to be a big quarterback battle. I think really? Devin Leary, the incoming UK quarterback, if they can protect him, I think he's set up to have a big year because I think they've got you know really good receivers and, and with Liam Cohen back, and I just think you know he could be set up to do something pretty big. You have Austin Reed, who came back, surprised a lot of people, and came back to Western Kentucky when I think a lot of people thought he was going to transfer, and he led the country in passing last year. Mm-hmm. Was the the number one you know, by yardage passer in the country. I, mean, I think for them, their key is they need to do something big as a team to sort of you know, capture the attention of the state. But and then you know Jack Plummer coming into Louisville running right. Jeff Brom's offense. You know I think he could have a big year. So I think we could have a big quarterback battle. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's going to be it's going to be really fun and interesting to see. I think with the uh, Jeff Brom at Louisville, uh, Mark Stoops and Jeff Brom. I thought it was <laughs> funny when we asked uh, uh, Mark about Jeff Brom. He said he hated it because he he knows Jeff and likes Jeff. <laughs> so <laughs> he hated to see him show up at Louisville. And, and as he said, he thinks Jeff will do a really Really good job, job at Louisville. So I think that's going to make that rivalry a lot of fun again and be a very competitive rivalry because I expect both teams uh, to be good down the line. Uh, anything else going on, Mark, that you want to plug or talk about before I let you go? I think we've covered it. Well, I appreciate it. Be sure and follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Story. Check out all of his work on Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Herald Leader. And go back. It's online on Kentucky.com. Oscar Shibway is the Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year. Mark has several stories and all the voting uh, there. It's, it's very interesting to look at uh, how the voting uh, went this year and who, who all made the top ten. So be sure and check that out as well. Mark, I will see you on Saturday. And thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks, John. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Kevin Brockway, the Gainesville Sun, and Mark Story of Kentucky.com. Be sure and check out all of their work leading up to, during, and after the game on Saturday night. Check out my John Clay Sidelines blog where I have live updates during the game and also my three takeaways after the game. Be sure and follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Story. You can follow Ben Roberts at Ben Roberts HL and follow Cam Drummond for UK Recruiting News at C. Drummond. 97. Thanks again to Kevin. Thanks again to Mark. Thanks again to everybody for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on the John Clay Podcast.